0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Deb Brandon is yet another creative woman who's got a lot going on in her life. Born in England, raised there, as well as Israel and Switzerland, she currently lives in Pittsburgh, where she's a math professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and that's where she earned her Ph.D., but there's much more. Deb is also a respected textile artist and enthusiast, and her book, Threads Around the World, describes how artisans from 25 diverse cultures continue to create traditional fiber arts using centuries-old methods. She's written for WARP, that's Weave a Real Peace, a nonprofit whose members are dedicated to improving the quality of life of textile artists in communities in need. Threads Around the World is not Deb's only book. In 2007, she began having seizures, tremors, problems with balance. She was diagnosed with brain angiomas and underwent three surgeries in as many weeks. During that time, she kept a diary, which eventually evolved into a book. But My Brain Had Other Ideas, a memoir of recovery from brain surgery. She runs programs about brain injuries. So let's meet and get to know Deb Brandon. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: You have quite an international background, Deb. How come?
1: I guess I could say I'm a university brat. Well, we moved around a lot as kids. As I said, I was born in England, where my father was a faculty member in Cambridge. And then when I was three years old, we we moved to Switzerland for three years for another job of his, a research position. And three years later, we moved to Israel, where he had another faculty position at the Technion. Then when I was 12, my father was on sabbatical, so we stayed a year in England for that, back in Cambridge. Then I was back in Israel. I came
0: here when I was 24 years old to earn my Ph.D. in mathematics. And you never left? Never left. And so Pittsburgh has basically been your home? Yes, yes. And what made you decide to get your PhD in mathematics? That always fascinates me because I could barely pass algebra or geometry when I was growing up. Math is so not my strong suit.
1: Well, I think that's probably due to the way you were taught as a child because I believe that everyone can reach a certain point in mathematics probably through calculus if they're taught properly, why did I go into mathematics? My bachelor's degree was in aeronautical engineering, and I wasn't satisfied with the analysis behind it, and uh, I wanted more. Um, I'd always been interested in mathematics, and that seemed to be the direction that made sense to me.
0: Would you, at some point when you said aeronautical engineering, did you want to work in the space industry? Yes, actually, I did. And you somehow got sidetracked, or you just didn't think back in the day that they were going to be very welcoming to females?
1: I was sidetracked. I didn't think in terms of being welcoming to females. It, I was young, inexperienced. I really didn't think about that kind of thing. I grew up in a culture where math wasn't well, science wasn't considered uh, a man's uh, occupation or interest.
0: You mean it was open to women?
1: Yes and no. Um, I guess it's more in terms of my family, my parents. My father didn't, you know, never, I, at home, it was never an issue. So I guess it didn't occur to me that gender would be an issue. It was only when I came here as an adult, well, young adult, that I realized that that's not the case. Actually, it even took took me a few years after I Started uh, the PhD program.
0: Well, that's not a bad way to grow up, for heaven's sake. You know, and and to be encouraged. I love the way I grew up. I think uh, I think I was really lucky in many ways. And also being exposed to different cultures and having all these opportunities—how rich that must have been.
1: Again, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's funny because when my father was on sabbatical when I was twelve, it was going to be a choice between Ghana and England, and my mother was pregnant at the time and they thought in terms of healthcare, Ghana might be a bit iffy, so we ended up in England. And I remember back then being disappointed, and now, I, you know, even though I had a, an amazing year in England and I was exposed to a lot of things that I wouldn't have been exposed to in Israel, There's a bit of a twinge of, oh, I don't know, regret or something that we didn't actually go to somewhere more exotic
0: like Ghana. I also read that you, as a child, were exposed, for lack of a better word, to textiles, as in knitting and sewing. Talk about that.
1: Well, my mother taught me to knit when I was about seven years old. I remember um, my first project was this, I don't know, why it occurred to me that this would be a good first project. But anyway, it did. I People were knitting hats for soldiers in the north. And I knitted this balaclava helmet, and it ended up being huge. <laughs> and I remember sending it off thinking, my God, I hope that there's a soldier with a huge head out
0: there. <laughs> where were you living at the time? When, when you were seven, where were you?
1: In Israel. And uh, then I went from there with knitting. But also at school, I learned uh, embroidery, which came useful later on. When I get stains, I'd cover them with embroidery. I also learned some weaving, a little bit of weaving. And uh, I came to really appreciate it. Oh, when I was 12 in England, I learned machine sewing. Again, I started with uh, with a pair of uh, pants I mean, I wonder at myself, you know, at that my first projects were always way beyond what I would think now makes sense. So not only did I appreciate handmade textiles, but also my parents did. And the house, there were we always had um, hand-woven rugs, wall hangings. Uh, my father went to India and brought uh, saris home Uh, he went to hungary and brought me an apron that was hand embroidered so there was always that kind of thing around the house oh and also um living in israel we were we used to go visit the old city in jerusalem where we were always always buying more things you know handmade things uh, including clothing so it was it was around me all the time it
0: was very natural
1: Yes, very much so.
0: To be taught knitting at seven, that's pretty young, but obviously that was enjoyable for you because you didn't learn and then give it up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my second project was a sweater. (laughs) I mean...
0: after your you said, helmet, was just, it a sweater for one of yeah. the Israeli soldiers also to go with the helmet? No, this
1: was for a family member. But as I said, I mean, I think back and I, and I wonder at myself, what possessed me to go from this to that, you know?
0: You don't need to know that, you know? I mean, it was what it was what turned you on at the time. But in spite of that, right. the encouragement of your mother or the fact that you enjoyed it, it just stayed with you.
1: Absolutely. And then as an adult, I learned uh, even more techniques because I was interested, you know, felting, uh, weaving, spinning yarn, dyeing, all sorts of things. I'm a jack of all trades. I love learning new things. And once I master them, it's okay, moving on to the next one. That's
0: terrific.
1: It's not like I, I uh, drop whatever I, I feel I've mastered. I keep on with it as well.
0: So talk about the part of your life as a textile artist and enthusiast. So I gather that you spent a lot of your life traveling and being exposed to different cultures.
1: Yes, uh, not as many as people think from the book. I also, with the, with the book, uh, a lot of it was traveling virtually, meeting um, textile artisans from around the world. Learning all these textile techniques, weaving was different. First of all, it felt like I was a weaver in a previous life, I felt very much at home with it. And also, well, as a weaver, I attended conferences, and that's where I encountered even more ethnic textile techniques, so so my interest grew. And I came to know textile artisans from Laos, from Bhutan, from various countries in Africa, And uh, being able to speak to them directly um, was wonderful. I I loved, again, learning about new cultures, learning about the stories behind the traditions, behind the techniques. I just really enjoyed it.
0: And what did you think you were going to do with this? I mean, was it obvious to you that this should become a book?
1: Uh It certainly wasn't obvious to me. What happened was i I joined this uh, organization, WARp, and a year after I joined it, I wanted to become more involved. You know the first year I wanted to understand more about it, and then the second year I wanted to become more involved, and uh, the newsletter editor suggested that I write. These articles about textile techniques from around the world. I started writing the articles, and of course, my interest leapt to new heights, and also it gave me excuses to buy more books, <laughs> uh, which I don't really need an excuse, but you know, it's always good to have another reason to uh, expand my collection. And um, a few years into that, I was a board member at the time, and the board suggested that we compile all these articles and um, sell them as a fundraiser to the warp members. But when I started editing, I started rewriting, and then I wanted to learn more about the techniques. And after the uh, surgeries instead of focusing on the techniques i became more fo- focused on the stories on the uh, on the communities and the people and uh, so the focus of my of my pieces changed and i i you know the rewriting became you know it was the articles were i expanded them and as this was evolving, the newsletter editor and I realized that this is more than something cobbled together, and this was becoming a book, and my, my editor encouraged me to do that. I mean, this was while I was writing the uh, my memoir, and it just evolved from there, and then we talked about getting photos and, uh, you know, we needed a photographer. And she was saying, she mentioned that she knows a photographer who lives near her in Fort Collins. And she'll talk to him about maybe getting some ideas from him. And he heard about the project and he said, I'll do it. You know, when I heard his name, I'm going, hey, he's the best textile photographer in the country, if not the world. So it just, again, it, evolved into this much bigger project. I felt, oh, if I have him as a photographer, I've got to do him justice. So it was this whole process.
0: Let's move, Deb, from, from that part of your life to the fact that you had quite a traumatic medical experience. Talk about what happened to you in 2007. Okay.
1: So I have these clusters of malformed blood vessels in my brain. I don't know exactly how many, certainly more than 10. And two of them bled. Um, And the only known treatment to to deal with these particular kind of uh, clusters uh, referred to as cavernous angiomas uh, to prevent future bleeds, the only known treatment is to remove them surgically. And my life was turned upside down, as he said, seizures, uh, horrendous headaches, this kind of thing.
0: You just kind of got slammed out of nowhere. Absolutely. And I couldn't
1: be the mother I used to be. I couldn't work. I couldn't drive. I was at a standstill as a person. This wasn't a life. Uh, There was no quality to it. So I decided to undergo the surgeries in the hopes to reclaim my life. And uh, the recovery from that is, actually, it's ongoing. The recovery from that was pretty horrendous in itself because I I uh, ended up with more deficits. Someone's rummaging around in your brain, it's going to do some interesting things. It also caused me to have severe depression. Again, someone's rummaging, it's going to... Uh, mess up the brain chemistry, and uh, through the recovery, again, at the beginning, during the acute recovery, I wasn't capable of doing much, but I hadn't been able to weave because of issues with vertigo and poor balance, and after the surgeries, I started weaving again, and I found that I, I produced this yardage of Silk fabric that I couldn't have produced before. I became much more creative, uh, much more attuned to details. So my, as a textile artist, my what I produced was much had a had a depth to it.
0: It was much richer than before. Yes. And why?
1: Well, one of the things that happened to me from the surgeries was I had issues with processing uh, sensory input. And this caused um, sensory overload, which brought on, I'd freeze, I'd start crying, I'd panic. But on the other hand, so what happens with sensory overload is details from outside um, have the same impact. And you don't, you 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 I had damaged filters and they let in let in the sensory input at same with the same value so i couldn't categorize them in time i couldn't process them in a timely fashion so my uh, inner my neural pathway my neural pathways uh, got jammed up but on the other hand it helped me i noticed more details that than i used to you know in nature you know, the the variation in the colors of flowers, um, a dew drop on a a petal. Well, another example is social cues, which is another reason I became from a from a socially inept mathematician, I grew into, you know, very much an extrovert, enjoying humanity like I didn't before. So as I noticed details more, I became more aware in, for instance, as I said, variations in color. Um, When I made this piece, I was going to use it to uh, submit it to a weaving conference. And I gave it a name, Reflections of Sunset on the Water. And I used so many different aspects of weaving to express that, for instance, lengthwise the warp i painted the warp in a way that it would have the colors of of sunset on the water so it had oranges and white for the for the white caps um the blues for the ocean and then on the other hand the the weft had these waves of um variations in blues and then I also use this shimmering silk to get the feeling of the reflections on the, on the um, ripples that the pattern gave more drape to it. These are things, all this together, I would never have thought of. I might have thought of having the drapiness, having the colors in the warp, but that would have been it.
0: So there was a real kind of shifting in a sense. You lost something, you gained something. Yes. Maybe there was an expansion as as well as maybe a retraction also. I can't imagine what that must have been like as you kind of, hmm, how can I say this, met a new you?
1: Yeah, so the losses invoke grief and frustration, and the gains, which include stronger emotions, brought me passion and compassion, I became much more in tune with the world around me. So my world opened up, I had to take a crash course in asking for help. And I learned that by exposing my vulnerabilities, I was turning them into strengths, because then people open up to you. So as I said, I became much more of an extrovert. And I, I started enjoying. Learning the stories of you know people's stories, so yes, it really opened up my world. And at the same time, as you said, I was I started writing this journal, and a year later, I wanted to I wanted a broader audience, so I started you know I started to Im- improve my writing through a writing coach because I because of the my brain injury I couldn't attend workshops. And my writing coach is an amazing teacher. She transformed me from an air eh, journal writer to an author of books I'm very proud of. And through the writing, again, this world opened up to me. Uh, I found out that I'm a storyteller, that I'm interested in other people's stories. Uh, it was it, It's been an amazing journey. In general, I feel like the gains from the brain injury far outweigh the losses. I really don't regret what happened to me. I wouldn't want to repeat it, but it brought me to where I am now. And I'm I'm much happier with who I am, uh, much more content. Is it as if you found a new you? Very much so. I'm a much more authentic version of myself. And at first I thought of it in terms of, Physiologically, I was different. When you think of mind versus essence, I thought only my mind had changed ways of thinking, that kind of thing. But over the last few weeks, thinking back, I realized that my essence has changed as well, which really took me by surprise. I really like myself so much, <laughs> which sounds
0: really uh, narcissistic, but I don't know. I'm really happy with where I am. But that also brings up a really interesting point. As you watched this, and I'm going to use the term in quotes, transformation of yourself, how did the the people around you react to that? How, how did they process this, quote, new you?
1: Well, it's interesting because my daughter really... It really affected her adversely, and she actually accused me. She actually she told me, "You've changed. You're not the mother you used to be." And she said it in accusatory fashion. And my now ex-husband had a similar reaction. But uh, I made new friends, uh, stronger bonds, and the people who from the weaving world and from the textile world. Um, actually really appreciated it and came to know me better and liked me and wanted to hang out with me, which is really nice. <laughs> the science community are a bit baffled by the whole thing.
0: Is this typical of somebody with a brain injury that there is this kind of, again, transformation?
1: Oh, yes, Absolutely. Through the writing, I became, well, and the brain injury, I became much more aware and self aware, and I learned that a lot of brain injury survivors don't quite have that same level of awareness. I think that's where the storytelling comes in, the writing comes in. But, I mean, I know a couple of people who I I know them before and after, and yes, there is um a similar transformation. They talk about becoming artists where there was no such thing before, writers, musicians. Uh, they you learn to appreciate, again, differences and express them. So that's one side of it. But also um in terms of personality, I've certainly noticed Uh, transformation. There's a mathematician uh, colleague of mine who um, had a brain injury and, you know, nice guy before, but his relationship with his students have have changed. They're not, he's better able to connect with them. Whereas before he, you know, he, he had decent relationships but it's really changed there's no question about it
0: while there was this expansion and this new look at life and living your life it also came with you know issues
1: i think so i mean my daughter was 13 when it happened and i think in terms of a teenager this re- we used to be really close so that separated us well created some sort of a distance at first we were still close but then I think she was afraid that something again would happen to me. So there was some sort of a distance. And of course, that was being a teenager. You tend to go in the direction of friends rather than family. But then when I separated from my then husband, she felt that I really uh, abandoned her. Uh She was very angry with me. But the nice thing is that over the last, couple of years, our connection has really flourished. And I'd say we're back to that same connection we had when she was younger.
0: How old is she now? She's 24. Yes, 24. So how, how has Deb dealt with the new Deb? You've just kind of gone with this, huh? So before the
1: brain injury, I feel like I was swimming upstream, you know, struggling against obstacles that generally come up in life like dealing with society dealing with oh i don't know anything that comes your way but now i feel that i'm much more much more able to swim with the current not just float down with the down the stream but actually swim with it it's all it's accepting things i can't change and changing the, the things that are within my ability, I'm much more a part of, um, to sound, you know, do the Buddhist thing, I'm much more, very much a part of the universe. It's weird. This is something I, you know, uh, what I was saying a few weeks ago, I, it's, I suddenly, I, was, I, don't, I forget what I was writing about, but I, it was something I was writing about, and I, And I realize that that's what's going on, that I don't sweat the small stuff like I used to. It's, I don't know, it is very much,
0: I'm very much a part of it. I guess something this traumatic, oh my God, oh my God, she had three brain surgeries, but what in essence it really did was enhance your life. Absolutely. I mean, it seems crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's interesting because my sister had uh, the same issues I had. She ended up having surgery a few months ago. And I see her going through the same process. And it's, I mean, although she went through hell for it, it's its wonderful to see. Uh, I mean, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about the rough stuff, and you know, I, I try and help her through that. But our conversations always end with, how amazing it is, and the things that you notice, and that sort of thing. It's uh, it's wonderful. Is
0: this not odd that you both have this? It
1: is hereditary. My father had a couple, but they were asymptomatic. I was the first to exhibit symptoms. My two brothers don't have it. My sister does, and so does her son. Um, her son hasn't shown any symptoms, but uh, my sister has, and she started showing symptoms fairly recently. She's 12 years younger than I am.
0: So as you look back and from where you are at this point in your life, while there's been, you know, unfortunate issues along the way, you must just feel so good about how this transformation has impacted you.
1: Yeah, very much so. Another thing that's that I think contributes to this, people talk about a life-changing experience, and that's very much it. But I think the fact that the brain is involved, it really enhances that and enriches that because it's part of who you are. The brain is part of who you are. Um, So it's not just the outside stuff, the physiology, uh, the trauma. There's also a deeper thing that comes from the inside. The change comes from the inside.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's just really so fascinating. And the fact that you're so comfortable sharing what you've been through, because there really must have been a hell of a road to hoe.
1: Yeah, I started writing, I started keeping the diary because I I wanted to understand better. I mean, it's very much an invisible disability. I want to understand what happened to me. I wanted others to understand what's going on. And then as I encountered brain injury survivors and people who had Cross paths with brain injury survivors, I realized just how much ignorance there's out there, including among the medical community. And I wanted to help other brain injury survivors along their journey through my own because I knew there were a lot of commonalities. As I said, I wanted to uh, to reach a a broader audience. And as you write, it's, it's almost like vomiting on the page I became more open about my stuff. I I want people to know. I mean, it's like issues with, you know, with the, with the um, as I said, I, I suffer from severe depression and I have been uh, suicidal. And I feel very strongly that people should talk about these kind of things because otherwise how are we going to address them? And I feel the same way about everything that's happened to me. I feel the need to talk about it in order to help others as well. And plus, as I said, I've become an extrovert and I open my mouth and it all comes out. You can't shut me
0: up sometimes. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. I also think that's a great way to end on a very upbeat note like that. Well, it was really great to meet and get to know you, Deb. I wish you much more joy in your life as you continue on your journey. I know I will. There's no question. It's pretty inspirational. And thank you so much for sharing. No, I think it's important. So I do. And
1: I feel like both books have really contributed to that. Um, I really think that both books have shown sides of me that can really, that are universal, that can really speak to other people
0: and help. What's better than that? What's better than that? Deb Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Uh, Thank you. I mean, I I enjoyed it. You
0: gave me an opportunity to blab. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.